Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. Why do many Christians live a defeated life? How can they disarm the enemy? I'm Mark Taylor. Welcome to Crosspoint. Today, my guest says, through Christ, you are fully equipped to fight your enemy effectively. William Wood is a Global Awakening Associate Evangelist and founder of the Awakened Victory Conference. Well, today with me here on Crosspoint, I have William Wood. And William, I know this book, Every Day of Victory, Practical Weapons to Fight and Stand and Live By. Well, we're always in a, a battle, it seems, back most all the time anymore. We're really living in a spiritual warfare type of age, I guess. But, you know, you say that many times we want God to fight for us when, in fact, God really wants to fight through us. Is that correct? Absolutely. Actually, when you look at the, the biblical narrative, you can tell that it's always God's intention to work on the earth through His people, not just for His people, which means that he has given to every single one of us a distinct will, because that's the number one question I'm asked when I make that statement is, if that's true, then you know, why don't we see more people uh, living and demonstrating Jesus? It's because He has given us a will uh, where we have the ability to choose to obey Him or not. Yeah. Now, in the introduction of the book here, I, you make a really good statement right here. You say, we all live in a broken world filled with trauma, uh, drama, and evil. The difference is that these people no longer allow those struggles to have them. In other words, what happens to us does not have the authority to determine what happens. That's a good statement when we really think about it, isn't it? Oh, it is. And this is actually, it dawned on me one day when I was sitting in my living room and I was studying the scriptures, and all of a sudden I realized that I was the greatest enemy to my destiny that no matter what happens to me, it does not have the authority to determine what happens in me, that, that I need to take personal responsibility to for what I think and how I live. And that was very uh, life-transforming for me when I realized that. Now, you talk about how we should live our lives for God. In page 19, you say, however, as imitators of God, our actions should reveal God. When we give our lives to Christ, we give up our right to merely represent ourselves. Uh, yeah, life uh, for us should, if we want to be effective, take on a whole new meaning, shouldn't it? Absolutely it should. I mean, we're formed in God's image, and uh, therefore that word image means that we are to represent Him. So my, my thing is this, you know, when people look at our life and they hear all the words that come out of our, our mouths, and they should be able to connect it to the person of Jesus Christ. You know, you should be able to evaluate a Christian's life. Let's say, for instance, if they were, if they were uh, charged for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in the courtroom to charge them of being a, a Christian? Yeah. Is it really... The hard, I mean, it's you talk about it being surprisingly simple sometimes from the strategies that Satan uses against us that we don't have to be a victim to those things. That's right. We do not have to be a, a victim to those things because in Christ, we are already victorious because of what he's accomplished for us on the cross. You know, when you look at Jesus on the way on his journey to the cross, everything that he was defeating going to the cross, he placed us in victory by the cross. And so therefore, that's the foundation in which we begin is the victory that he gained. 
And when you look at the way the enemy comes against us, it's really in just uh, two categories, um, deception and temptation. We may be asking, well, what's the power of deception? That's the ignorance of truth. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And the power of temptation is simply human agreement. When we come into agreement with uh, the lust and the temptations that he is projecting upon us, it is in that place where we empower him uh, to defeat us. Now, you in the book here, you talk about um, many so-called truths are out there, but a lack of understanding of God's truth is what empowers the voice of Satan in our lives. It's kind of like uh, being ignorant to the fact, right? That, that's exactly right. You know, Ephesians six seventeen says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so it's actually a weapon of warfare to fight against the enemy. And we, so if we don't have a good understanding of, of truth, biblical truth is what I'm referencing here. Yeah. And then we just empower the voice of Satan in our life, and he will uh, disrupt and distort our understanding of God. Well, William, why do you think so many Christians feel trapped in sinful habits and overwhelmed by the temptations of the day? Well, I know from my own personal experience, I came out of a life of drugs and alcohol, and, and when I got saved, I immediately recognized that I still had uh, old patterns of beliefs and values from my old life before Christ. And in order for me to, to live differently, I had to change the way that I think. Matter of fact, the Bible says it in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so I realized, you know, if my mindset doesn't transition with my deliverance, then my thinking would take me back into what God delivered me out of. And I think this is the major area where people do not put focus on, that is changing the way that they think. You cannot have a new covenant or a new creation experience with an old creation mindset. Now, now you mentioned previously what kind of brought you into where you're at today. It was back in, I remember reading here in the book, it was about in 2005. You had a dramatic encounter with God. Uh, I guess you were involved in substance abuse at that time, but how did God rescue you out of all that? Well, it was May of 2005, and at that time, you know, I'd been on drugs probably eight years or so, and methamphetamine became really uh, my drug of choice. And, and so when I met Christ, I was actually walking alongside the road, and I started to overdose on the drugs that I was doing because I'd been up for five days without sleep. And when I overdosed, I fell into the highway, and a car hit me knocked me off the side of the road down a ditch. And when I came back to, because uh, it knocked me out, when I came back to, I was in the hospital room uh, about two days later when I finally came to. The doctors were like, William, your kidneys have failed and your liver is failing. Matter of fact, if, if your liver fails, you're going to die. Well, I was in intensive care for two weeks, and, and while I was there, I would always have this thought right before I went to sleep, and the thought was, I hope I'll wake up to see tomorrow. Well, this last night of being in there, as soon as I had this thought, the bright light formed right in front of my hospital bed, and I start looking at this light, and I see a figure of a man walking toward me through this light. He steps into the room, in the hospital room where I'm laying, and all of a sudden this power hits my body, and I start vibrating under this power. And this man walks right to the foot of my bed, not saying anything to me. He turns like he's going to leave, but he, instead he sits down on the floor, 
and like he's waiting for something, and he has his hands crossed, and he, he looks over to the right side of the room. So I look over on the right side of the room, and the wall completely opens up. A river of water starts flowing from the wall into the room right in front of where he's sitting, and he starts washing his hands like he's cleaning himself. And an audible voice speaks to me at that point, and he says this, the, the waters that you see will purify and cleanse you if you receive Jesus the Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's pretty much how I got saved, brother. Yeah. Well, that was a dramatic way to meet, to meet the Lord. Now, in the book on page 35, I'm reading it says, Satan is a master at getting us to look at the facts of life instead of the truth of God. The aim of the tempter is to display God's voice with his voice. So how does he displace? And we think we're maybe hearing from God, but we're not actually hearing from God. How do we know the difference? Well, for me, I evaluate everything according to the Word of God. It is it is the plumb line. It is what I evaluate my life according to. And so what I've noticed with Satan is that he'll undermine the truth of God's Word with the facts of life. For instance, God's Word says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, that for by his wounds we are healed. So what Satan will do still wait until you're dealing with some type of sickness and he'll come up and whisper in your ear or did God really say that by his wounds you are healed? Look at you, you have this sickness. And so he gets our attention off of the truth of God's promise onto the facts of our life and the purpose of that is to simply displace our understanding of truth or to undermine the voice of truth in our heart so that we start listening to his voice instead of God's word. Now William, throughout the book I know you expose demonic tactics. Then you try to equip believers with practical ways that they can stand against these tactics. This is really a, a really a spiritual battle, isn't it? It is, brother. Now, how do you educate people in God's truth? I mean, we've got a lot of misinformation out there these days. People don't know what truth is. How would you educate them in what God says is truth? Well, I would encourage someone to, to pick up the Bible, and there's something that you have to to have in order to, to read the Bible is you have to be able to look at it as authoritative. It's it's the Word of God. It's not the Word of man. It is the Word of God. You know, Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture comes by inspiration of God. And so when I look at the Bible, I look at it as authoritative, which means I allow it to determine what I believe and how I live. And my opinion in the matter uh, is 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 kind of irrelevant in a sense because his word is authoritative, and so that's what I would encourage somebody to do is to approach the scriptures as authoritative. That way, uh, when it establishes their belief system, it will demonstrate through their life in an authoritative way. Again, here in the book, I believe it's called "Fear, Shame, and Victim Mentality." Uh, that portion of the book, you say a major sign that someone is fully in the world of deception is when they hide from the only one, which is God, who can bring correction and injustice into their lives. While it is true that God is a judge, he is a God of justice. Satan wants you to view God as a judge of punishment. He wants you to have that, hey, there is a God, but he's not the kind of God you think he is. Satan's always trying to twist our way of thinking, I guess, right? Absolutely. If he can, if he can pervert the way that we view God to the point we we no longer view him as Father God, but we view him as uh, God, uh, God, God the Judge. Then what will happen is that we'll 
we will not come before him boldly before the throne of grace because we think, well, he's just going to judge us, he's going to condemn us, he's going to he's going to punish us in some shape or form. When the reality is, he he's a father that loves us and he he wants to set us free from the sin and the, and the things that have entrapped us. You know, his his judgment is aimed at what interferes with the relationship, and so that's what his judgment is aimed at. Anything that interferes with relationship with him. Now, in that same part of the book, you say we now live in a day, day and time where fear and shame are crippling families, cities, states, and, and nations. You say, I came out of a life of deep sin and addiction. One of the reasons I had not experienced a tremendous amount of fear and shame throughout my Christian development is simply because the first thing I experienced as a believer was the love of God. Now, here again, we've got a a lot of that word used a lot, love, 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 but understanding the love of God is totally different than understanding the love of the world, correct? Absolutely, brother. And like I just shared my, my personal uh, journey to the Lord uh, with you, you know, that was my first experience with God, was that He came to set me free from sin, not to sin. And that's the beauty of what His grace and His love is, is, is to liberate you to live righteously, to live holy. And so... I think people are changed when they love God, but they're not transformed until they realize He loves them. And out of that deep love that He has for us, that kind of compels us to live holy and righteously before Him because we want to be pleasing unto our Father that loved us so much while we were a sinner, He died for us. Explain, if you can, like the categories here. There's You talk about deception and then temptation. The two categories, I guess, are more demonic functions, but try to help people understand between deception and temptation. Well, well, again, you know, the, the power of deception is simply the ignorance of truth. And so when I don't have the Word of God in my heart, what happens is it opens me up and it gives purpose to the voice of Satan, because I don't have truth there as a protector. Matter of fact, you can look at Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks within himself... So he is. Well, that word think uh, is referencing a gatekeeper. So our mind is a gateway, and our thoughts are to function as a gatekeeper to the gateway of the mind, because the mind is the major battlefield that the enemy targets. And so what I say is this, you know, the ultimate gatekeeper to the gateway of the mind is truth. And when I have truth right there, it protects me from outside forces. But when I don't have truth there, it exposes me to outside or external forces. And, and again, the way the enemy tempts us is by projecting upon us his own nature, hoping that we come into agreement with him. For instance, when a spirit of fear, for example, comes against us, the reason we experience fear is because that spirit itself is afraid. It's literally projecting its own nature upon us. And so when we feel that that sensation, and we take ownership of it, what happens is now we empower its nature to become our nature. All right, folks, well, we're talking today about Every Day of Victory with William Wood. Stay with us. We're going to be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. 
Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. And today here we're talking about some practical weapons to fight and stand and live free every day of victory with William Wood. Now, William, you're Global Awakening Associate Evangelist, a graduate of the Global School of Supernatural Ministry and a founder of the Awakening to Victory Conference. So if people want to know more about your ministry, uh, maybe this book or other books that you've put together, uh, having you come and speak, whatever, how would they go about doing that? Well, there's two different websites that, that you can go to. The first one is globalawakening.com, and then the second website is my personal website, and it's hiskingdomreign.org. You can find me through both of those websites. Uh, I have tons of other products on, on either one. My public uh, calendar is there, and so I'll even have options for people to submit um, requests and things of that nature as well. All right. So, again, give us those two locations that people can contact you through. Globalawakening.com and hiskingdomreign.org. All right. Well, back in the book here, I want you to explain here on page 68, I'm looking at how Satan strips uh, you of your faith, I believe is what it's called. Yes, it says there is a major stumbling block when it comes to hearing the voice of God through our thoughts. And the stumbling block is our logic. In fact, logic often hinders our ability to have our minds renewed. Explain that about logic. Well, it's it's interesting. The Lord spoke many years to me, and he he made this profound statement. He says, says, you don't need to process my word through your logic. You need to process your logic through my word. And then he goes on to explain that when we process God through our own human logic, what happens is we reduce him down to our level of understanding. But when we process our thinking through God, then all of a sudden we're awakened to the reality of his world and his logic. And and like I like to tell people, you know, everything God does is logical. The difference is that logic comes from the reality of who he is, not from the reality of who we are. And so... I remember the first time the Lord really challenged me in this. I was actually doing some street evangelism, and I was walking alongside the road, I mean, uh, driving uh, up the road, and I was looking out the window, and all of a sudden I see this black bird fly by the window going in the opposite direction, and immediately I had this random thought, direction to death. And so I leaned over to my friend, and I I said, what do you think this means? I said, I saw this bird, I had this thought, he says, well, the only way that we're going to know what it means is if we follow this bird. Well, that doesn't make logical sense to follow a bird, but that's what we did. And so the only way you can grow in hearing the voice of God is by acting on what you believe he's saying. And so that's what we were doing. And so we followed this bird to, to this man's house. We pull into the driveway. And as soon as we part uh, and get ready to get out, a man walks out onto the porch with a gun in his hand. And immediately I just scream out. We feel like the Lord has sent us here because someone is dealing with death. Where he drops his gun, he starts weeping. My friend and I, we walk into the porch, and we start uh, praying with him and ministering to him. We spend about an hour with him. We leave, and I come back to this man's house two weeks later, and this is what he tells me. He says, when you guys left off my porch that day, I went back into the house, uh, and I had a, a voicemail on the answering machine from the doctor's office because his son was dying, his five-year-old son was dying of an incurable disease. And the doctor was like, you need to get to the hospital right now. And so he gets to the hospital, 
uh, and all of a sudden he walks in the door and his five-year-old son comes running up to him, jumps in his arms, and the doctor proceeds to tell him that he was cured of the incurable disease that he had. And so we had this random thought, direction to death, that didn't make any logical sense. So if I processed God's voice through my logic, I would have sacrificed divine inspiration in that moment. So with that, you know, you'd write in here that God wants each one of us to be an independent extension of him on this earth. So how do we become that as that independent extension here on earth? Well, uh, understanding that we're, we're formed in his image, and, and that word image just doesn't simply mean resemblance, it means a representation. And in that, God has given every single person the most precious gift, and that gift is our human will. And the reason he gave us a human will is because he does not want slaves, he wants children to be obedient to him out of their own desire to do so. And so for me, I understand that, that I'm called to be an interdependent extension of him. This is one of the reasons that Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 references the body of Christ as us, the people of God, as the body of Christ, is because we are to represent his physical presence on the earth. And so I understand when I extend my hand to touch somebody, it's not just William Wood touching them. It's actually Christ through that avenue laying hands on somebody and being a blessing to them. And so that's what I mean by being an interdependent extension of him, is that I realize I don't represent William, I represent Christ. Now, you also talk about being armed with godly weapons. What kind of weapons does a Christian have that they can use? Well, if you turn over to to Ephesians chapter 6, it gives a whole description of the armor of God. And one of the things I always like to highlight to people is, like, you know, it's it's God's responsibility to supply the armor to us, but it's our responsibility to put that armor on. And so that's how God's kingdom works. He works through that context. And so I'll just, I'll just quickly um, read it right here and just uh, go through these just real quickly for people. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith with which you were able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god praying all praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints and so when you go through this description of the armor of God, you realize it's our responsibility because he says, now you put on, now you stand firm, now you uh, uh, advance in that sense. So it's his responsibility to supply it, but it's our responsibility to appropriate it. Now, William, there's people I'm sure listening to us right now that, you know, they're going through battles, they're fighting battles, they may feel like they're not winning those battles or not knowing actually how to fight the battle. What do you tell people, you know, when it comes, I mean, you've learned a lot through what you've experienced, of course, because you've been open to God, but how do you tell and try to get this into somebody, let's say, that's come out of a background where they've just been kind of religious, but not really understood their real purpose in being that extension? Well, well, for me, it always starts with uh, the transformation of, of the mind. You know, again, that's the major battlefield of someone's life. I would even go as far as to say 90% of our issues will be dealt with. 
if we transform the way that we think. You know, again, Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. So that means our state of being is dependent upon what we think upon. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, uh, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. And people ask me all the time, well, wait, well how do I take my thoughts captive? Well, it's, it's based on what we focus our mind upon. If I focus my mind upon his word, if I focus my mind upon his will, then by default, uh, all my thoughts are going to be taken captive that's, uh, and disobedient to that. And so for me, it begins right there with the transformation of the mind, which is the one area that a lot of people don't want to focus on. Now, chapter five of the book, I really like the way that starts off. It says, another tactic of Satan is to attack believers that have no firm root. Um, I don't believe a lot of people do have a firm root when it comes to this. A little ways down there, you say understanding the tactics of the enemy is important. But it's more important to develop a deep, abiding friendship with God. So how do you do that? Well, for me, I do three things every single day, and I've been doing it now for 18 years. You know, that's prayer, number one. It's relational. And when I say, what I want to say about prayer is that it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Because a lot of people go to, go to the Lord in prayer, but then they talk the entire time and never listen. And well, it's just a monologue. Basically, what that turns into is just me complaining most of the time instead of having a fellowship with him. And so, number one is I pray. And so I'll go through a period of time of just praying, and but then I will go through a period of time of listening, meditating, and journaling, just listening to what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to me in that process. And the second thing that I do is worship. You know, the way that I look at myself, First Corinthians 3.16 says, I am the temple of God. And so I look at myself my physical being as a temple of God, a house of worship, a house of prayer. I even look at my physical home that I live in right now. I'm very particular about what I allow in my house, and I've dedicated even my home as a house of worship to the Lord, and so I'm always worshiping and creating an atmosphere and a culture within my home. And of course, the last thing that I do is I just get in the Word of God every single day. So these three things I believe is essential for, for the health of any believer or any Christian to develop a, a friendship with the Holy Spirit as well as a deep, intimate fellowship with Him. Another part of the book, you talk about being entangled in the temporary. On page 99, you say, Satan loves nominal Christians because everything in their lives is shaped by his nature of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness was the root cause of Satan's fall and is the root cause of a nominal Christians, Christianity today. There is a lot of that out there today. That's why we're not getting more done, I guess, would you say? Well, I, I definitely would agree with that. I mean, again, the greatest idol in our, of our life is the idol of self. You know, in some ways, in America, uh, where I live, is what we presented the gospel in such a way where we only present Jesus as Savior, but we disconnected it from the context of Him being Lord. And the issue with that is that we receive Him as Savior, but then we remain the God of our own life. Well, that's that's not the gospel. The gospel is not me inviting Jesus into my life. It's actually me responding to the call of Christ to join Him in His life. And so when you look at the world around us, when we remain our own God, kind of go our own way and do our own thing, 
all the world kind of evolves around us, and then we all get stuck in the natural things of life. I mean, how many people spend their entire life working for a company only to be replaced the day that they're gone, the day that they die, but yet they give all of their life to that company through high water, low water. I mean, they have put themselves through torture to be committed to that job when the entire time they're simply replaced the day that they're gone, right? But yet we won't give quite as much attention or devotion to Christ, and He is the one that carries our eternal life. And so for me, that's what I want to have. I want to have eternal perspectives, things that have eternal merit to it. That's what I kind of put my focus on. You say something, and I don't think I've ever really quoted anybody that I've been interviewing, but in an area where it just tells about, uh, you know, your background and stuff. But you talk about traveling to your Awakened Victory Conferences, and you say you travel the world equipping people to step in the fullness of what Christ paid for on the cross. There's not enough of us going back to the cross to remember what was done at the cross. The cross isn't in the focus, I don't believe, of many of the everyday believers, but the cross is the center of what we do, is it not, or the starting point? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the entrance point into the kingdom. I mean, you, you cannot have eternal life with Jesus apart from the cross. You know, that's, that's the doorway and the pathway that we enter through. Uh, otherwise, it'll be universalism. You know, and, and right now I'm seeing a lot of what I would call Christian universalists right now, even even removing the, co- the concept of the cross, saying, well, it doesn't matter if you say yes to Jesus now or not. You know, he died for the sins of the world, so therefore everyone's already saved anyway. Well, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot have the gospel apart from the cross of what Jesus did for us. And you have to step through that. Yeah, the way I like to say it to pe- people is this, there's only one sin that the blood of Christ did not atone for, and that is the rejection of Him as Savior, because if He would atone for that sin, it would have stripped, up, stripped us of our ability to choose. Therefore, we will be a slave in the kingdom and not a child. Well, folks, stay with us, and we're going to be back tomorrow as we talk about every day of victory, practical weapons to fight, stand, and live free. We'll be back in just a moment. Adjust the right time. It just fits into what is happening in your life that day. Just when you need it most. Thanks for making us a part of your day. 91.7 The Word. Welcome back. You're listening to Crosspoint. I'm your host, Mark Taylor. My guest today is William Wood. Now, William, we're talking about Every Day of Victory, a book that you've written, but you do so much more than this, this book here. You're involved as a you know associate evangelist with global awakening uh you go out and do these awakening victory conferences and stuff you go and speak and tell people how they can find out more about your ministry maybe even have you come and speak or get the copy of this book well there's two different websites you can go to that's uh, globalawakening.com and his kingdom reign.org all of my other uh products and resources are there as well as an opportunity to to submit uh, uh, speaker requests and things of that nature on those two websites. All right. Well, in the book, again, I'm back here in this entanglement in the temporary. Uh, You say, if you don't have a will, it would be impossible for you to live in disobedience to God. That would mean that God had total control over you. 
God gives us a will because he wants us to come to him by faith, not by his forcing us to do that. But it's that willpower that we have to fight about or fight with and really give back to the Lord for his will to be done over ours. Absolutely. He, he desires to have a lordship in our life, but he, he does it to the degree in which we yield our will unto him. He, he doesn't come to force us to be obedient to him or to force us into submission. You know, submission has to be voluntary, otherwise it's slavery. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt about that. You know, you write about the ignorance that leaves us vulnerable to sin, Satan's attacks, and I believe this is very common. Uh, we mentioned it before, but again, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that go to church and they really don't have any idea about the uh, being in the game, or even if they are in the game, or what the real game is when it comes to what Satan can do and what the church can do. Yeah, that's exactly right. I see a lot of Christians that live their life as if Jesus was the one defeated on the cross, when in actuality, it's Satan the one exactly. defeated on the cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that does. I, I, yeah, you're right. I, you know, it's, though, pretty easy sometimes for Christians to fall back into sin, and when they do, uh, you talk about this in the book, you know, that's, that's hard on them, you know, to get back into where they were with Christ. What do you tell people when they've done that, when they've stumbled in that area? For a righteous man falls seven times. But what makes him righteous? He gets up and he moves forward. You know, one of the things my football coach used to say to me when I would make a bad play, he would say, move to the next play. Because if your mindset stays on the bad play, then that bad play becomes your state of play for the entirety of the game. And so I took that concept even when I walked with the Lord. You know, Romans 3.23 is very clear. For we all have sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is going to fall short. But the ones that continue to advance the kingdom and continue to step into their destiny are the ones that when they fall, they get back up and say, you know what, I may have failed, but I'm not a failure. I may have sinned, but I'm not a sinner. I'm going to step back into my identity. My identity is found in Christ, and then I'm going to move forward. Because, again, if our mindset stays on the failure or the sin or the stumble, whatever it is, then that becomes our state of being uh, for our life. In the portion of the book called The Gospel is Our Firm Foundation, you say one of the major access points of the demonic in the church today is a poor understanding of the goodness of God, particularly in the area of the gospel of peace. If Satan can distort your view of a good God, then he can devour your life. Again, how do people keep this from, how do you fight back against this stuff? We're in a spiritual battle continually, it seems like. What do you, where do we go to from there? Because, yeah, the demonic is terribly attacking the church. I mean, to me, what we're seeing happening in our world today is really because the church has not fought back hard enough against the demonic influence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of Christians, again, I mean, they're just sitting back and they're waiting for God to, to do all things, all these things on their behalf when they need to realize that, no, God dwells within them, and He wants to use their life to advance His kingdom. That's the primary way in which He works on the earth today. And, and understanding that, that we're at total and complete peace with God, that's essential to, to advancing the kingdom. Because if we don't believe we're at peace with God, then the devil is going to leverage that in our hearts and our minds. And every time we make a mistake, he'll bring it up. So you see there, God's mad at you. 
see who God's going to judge you. He may put sickness on you or whatever the case, and he starts distorting our image. But when we understand that what Jesus has done on the cross for us brought us into complete fellowship with Christ in our spirit, in union with him, and that we're at total peace with God, that he is not mad at us or angry, he's not judging or condemning us, that makes all the difference in the way that we advance the kingdom of God. And I always tell people, you know, condemnation comes from three sources, on guilty conscience. You know, First John chapter 3, verse 21 says, if our conscience does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Uh, it either comes from Satan or it comes from people. But God is not the one uh, condemning us. God is not the one putting making us feel miserable. He's actually the one who's trying to set us free. <laughs> yeah. Now, you also mentioned uh, about partnering with the Spirit to help destroy this, the strongholds. Uh, how does a person partner? Do they really, in other words, uh, William, does the people in the church really understand the Spirit and the connection there? No, not, but not in America, anyway. I travel a lot internationally. And to be honest with you, brother, a, a lot of people in other countries and other nations, they understand the spiritual world a lot more than, than the people here within America. And, and what I like to say is this, you know, we're, we live in a country that, that is so blessed. This is the best country on the face of this earth, in my opinion. But because we're so blessed here, we have so many other options that we can choose other than Jesus. So he may be number four or five down the priority list, <laughs> right? And yeah. because of that, we're, we're, we're focused on all these natural, carnal things instead of the spiritual existence, our spiritual life, and it really suffers because of that. Page 151 of the book, you say, If we are, are to be effective in standing against Satan, we must learn to bridle our tongue because Satan is empowered when we speak in agreement with his purposes. We neglect to watch ourselves in this important area. Talk to us about that, how important it is, uh, and our tongue is how important that is. Well, what we speak, we authorize. I mean, for instance, Proverbs 18, uh, 20, 21 says, Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they that love it eats the fruit thereof. Well, the fruit that's being referred to, referred to is the fruit of the lips, of what we speak. You know, so if I sit around and I just grumble and complain all the time, what I'm doing is I'm actually vocalizing what area the devil can attack me in. Because <laughs> I'm yep. telling him, hey, I'm struggling in this area, so why don't you focus on this area and defeat me? So what I do is, is if I'm dealing with something, I don't vocalize it because I don't want to authorize that area of my life to the devil to, to be attacked. What I do is I, I speak forth the opposite of that. You know, if I have... If I'm experiencing fear or something, I haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, and I'll vocalize God's Word rather than my problem. Yeah, so in other words, our words locate us and tell where we're at in life, how we're thinking, what we're yep. really made of, and, and how we respond to things. Exactly. You, you, you're, it's, like, it's like you're alerting all the demons in your neighborhood, say, hey, come over to my house and attack me in these areas, or yeah. you're alerting uh, all the angelic hosts around say, hey, we're worshiping God, we're, 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 we're advancing the kingdom, we're exalting the person of Jesus Christ. You know, and a lot of people don't understand that when they speak these negative things all the time, and they just prophesy their problems out into the world, not realizing these demons are listening. 
Yeah. Now, when you start prophesying the good things and you start praising God, the demons don't like to hear that. They kind of vacate, don't they? Oh, they do. Well, James 4, 7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You know, I think the normal posture of the devil in our life is running from us, not to us. But when you so, but it hinges on us being submitted, therefore, to God, demonstrating His His word and His will, and speaking His word and His will. Yeah. Now, in the book called, or in the part of the book called, an effective prayer life, you, page one sixty three, say God intends for heaven and earth to be joined in union with one another. One of the ways He intends to do this is through His people on this in this world. Since it is God's intentions to remake, reshape the world through us, that means our prayers need to be consistent with His narrative. Okay, now explain what is His narrative and how our prayers need to be shaped with that. Well, Matthew chapter 6, I believe it's verse 10, it, it kind of reveals His narrative for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. So when I pray, you know, if there's no there's no sickness in heaven, so there shouldn't be any sickness here. There's no depression in heaven, so there shouldn't be any de- depression here. There's no sin in heaven, so there shouldn't be any sin here. And so what I use I, is I use that as a blueprint that helps me know how to intercede on behalf of the world around me, because now I'm praying His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, just like uh, the model prayer that He gives in Matthew 6. Now, now you really do believe in a vibrant prayer life. You believe, I believe by reading in this area, that you believe prayer is very important and it really does strengthen a believer's life. Oh, absolutely, brother. It's, it's, it's something that I do every single day. You know, the way I like to say it, that I'm, I'm always in a state of communion, having a conversation with God, which is simply prayer, is that you're having a conversation with Him daily. Of course, I may have my allotted time where I specifically pray for an hour or whatever, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the day I don't pray, because the rest of the day I'm constantly in conversation with Him all the time. If you think about it, every single one of us has an internal dialogue that's going on all the time, all day long. My thing is I just shift that internal dialogue to God. (laughs) That's what I do, and that's prayer what essentially what that becomes yeah the weapons of warfare again you say we can trample down the demons and assault the ones that come after us actually but we got to have those weapons and they've got to be active weapons they can't be you know it's kind of like back in the story of you know this one guy tries to use the same weapons that paul and them are using you know and the demons jump on him and whip him because hey we don't know who you are you know we have to be careful and know what we've got and then use it the way we've got it and understand what it is we're yielding for the Lord. That, that may, that's right, brother. And even when, you know, truth is our weapon of warfare, and but not only do we need to know that truth is our weapon of warfare, but we also need to know how to apply that truth in every situation. For instance, you know, if I, if I am dealing with a, with a sickness that's coming against my body, but the only truth I fight against that sickness with is the fact that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, that's true. That's true. The issue is that it just simply bring comfort to the soul, but not a solution to my problem, because it's truth, but in the wrong application of it. And so what I do is I use the, I try to find understanding of how to use the, the right truth in the proper situation to be my weapon of warfare. Yeah. 
You just and you believe we just need to develop a continual, uh, integral dialogue with God all the time, uh, day and night, just working with Him on this, and He'll really help us and walk us through whatever. And He knows, of course, what's coming our way, but He's He's already got a plan to handle that way if we'll just pay attention to what He's doing and get our mind off ourselves. Well, as, exactly. I mean, I live my life as if God knows everything, and what yeah. He does. That means He knows the end from the beginning, and when He tells me something, He has every bit of knowledge that, of everything or anything that could ever happen pertaining to what He's called me to do or telling me to do. So I understand when He tells me to do something, and nothing's going to catch Him off guard. He's like, oh, he's, the devil's not going to do something where God is like, oh, man, I didn't think about that. <laughs> you know, so I know that he has it all worked out. All I have to do is simply be obedient to what he's asking me to do. All right. Well, William, again, before we uh, go today, uh, tell people about how they can find out more about Every Day of Victory, uh, books. Other, I know you've probably done a lot of stuff. You have a lot of uh, resource materials, and you'll come and speak in places as well. Tell people how they can find out how you do that. Yeah, well, the two websites that you can go to is uh, globalawakening.com, uh, hiskingdomreigns.org. Uh, yes, uh, I, my role as a minister is I travel around, I do missions, I do workshops, I do uh, training seminars, I do conferences. I travel currently about 200 days a year, so which means I'm doing a lot of ministry all over the world. And, and it's such a delight to, to be able to empower people to equip people, to train people. It's, it's, it's what I love to do, for sure. William, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today on Crosspoint. I appreciate it, brother. It's an honor to, to be with you. It was a good interview today with William Wood. Encouraged us to every day get out there and do what God asked us to do. You know, he talked about how he spent time in the Bible and prayer, meditating on God's Word. This other book I have in my other hand here, the Bible is the book, folks, you need to know. It contains all the directives we need to walk through this life and it shows you what you need to do if you'll just follow it the bible contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever need to be following be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church have a great week allow god to use you for his purposes so that greater things can be done and make your life count in god's plans for eternity i'm mark taylor cross point is a program produced in studio 101 at kneo radio Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email, crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime on... Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. If you live within the broadcast area of KNEO Radio, we have a podcast just for you. The KNEO Community Connection keeps your finger on the pulse of what's coming up in the four-state area telling you about upcoming events you don't want to miss, organizations in our communities doing great work, and conversations with the dynamic citizens who are behind it all. There's a lot going on around you that you don't want to miss. This is Luke Taylor. Join me each week as we talk about what's happening with the people who are making it happen. 
Brought to you by KNEO Radio 91.7 FM and the Sky High Podcast Network. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.